welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I am your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research and practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Hi there. It's great to have you along for this first episode of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm so excited for the interview you're about to listen to. In it, I talk with Dr. Lindsay Moses about the observed behavior of first graders during independent reading time. Our discussion is based off of a study that she published with Laura Beth Kelly earlier this year. It's in the journal titled Reading and Writing Quarterly. And the name of the study is Are They Really Reading? A Descriptive Study of First Graders During Independent Reading. This study was observational. It was completed in a single classroom over the course of a year. And, fun fact, the study resulted in over 1,500 pages of transcribed video data that they had to comb through and code to find patterns and themes. That's a lot of pages to go through. In our discussion, we discuss the background of independent reading research, the findings of our study, and then implications for independent reading in the classroom. Before we get to the show, let me introduce Dr. Lindsay Moses. She is an Associate Professor of Literacy in the Division of Teacher Preparation in the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. She's taught undergraduate and graduate courses in early childhood education, elementary education, culture and linguistically diverse education, and literacy. She's a former elementary teacher of English learners and is passionate about supporting literacy instruction in diverse classrooms. Dr. Moses is also a professional development consultant and speaks nationally about supporting English learners, differentiating instruction, and implementing the reading workshop in elementary classrooms. We have a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. After the conversation's over, stick around for my two cents and uh, enjoy the show. Dr. Lindsay Moses, welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So you did a publication in the early part of this year in Reading and Writing Quarterly titled, Are They Really Reading? A Descriptive Study of First Graders During Independent Reading. So you looked at first graders and um, you measured what their actual behaviors were during independent reading. Can you give us a bit of the background on the research in independent reading? Sure. Yeah. So... I think that the history of independent reading has um, kind of evolved and expanded, right? So we probably all remember back in the day when um, people were doing the drop everything and read or sustained silent reading, and it's taken on different forms, I think, in different areas of the country and different schools. And um, But there was kind of a, a large pushback when the National Reading Panel um, didn't necessarily endorse it as... Um, a practice. They, they basically took a neutral stance on it, but the, but the fact that they didn't endorse it sort of created some backlash, um, I think, or researchers interested in looking at what we really know about research on independent reading. Um, Allington has done quite a bit of work and written uh, pretty extensively about the importance of the amount of time that kids get to spend in actual texts, um, and that the more that they read, that we see improved reading comprehension. 
and also after the National Reading Panel came out sort of with the neutral stance, um, a handful of researchers uh, designed studies to really take a closer look at that. Um, Reitzel and colleagues found that for third graders in high poverty schools, 20 to 25 minutes of daily scaffolded silent reading supported fluency um, as effectively as did guided oral reading and repeated readings, um, which is a practice that's endorsed by the National Reading Panel. Um, other studies found that enriched independent reading improved fluency as well as comprehension. Um, there was a large meta-analysis of studies that involved random assignment of students to independent reading or a control group. Um, and it showed uh, a small significant effects in reading comprehension. So um, I think one of the things that has been happening in the most recent studies related to independent reading is the idea of moving beyond just unsupported independent reading. And that was something that we were interested in looking at and building on in terms of thinking about how could we examine uh, what this looks like for young readers in a context where the teacher provided uh, support, we kind of kept track of what the kids were doing, she established routines um, and provided strategies for kids to sort of navigate text uh, and really just think about how we can support kids through independent reading. So that work um, really informed our work. Kelly and Clausen Grace, I believe is how you pronounce it, had done a fair amount of work talking about this idea of supported independent reading and components of that that were particularly important in terms of selecting text, monitoring behaviors, accountability, opportunities for response. And so we tried to take that and think about ways that we might support the teacher in that implementation and then analyze how that was taking place over the course of a year. That sounds interesting. So the so to put a time frame on it, that NRP, the National Reading Panel, that was in the year 2000. So um, so you're saying before 2000 that there was a, a large movement of you know, the drop everything and read and silent sustained reading. And then since NRP 2000, where they didn't endorse it, that there's been more questioning around how can we support students in their in their silent reading. And that's something that, that you investigated uh, a bit in this study. Yes. Yep. Um, so let me read the study questions here. Sure. So in your study... Um, the questions you wanted to ask were, when provided with support, what literacy-related or off-task behaviors does a large, diverse, urban class of first-grade students, first students exhibit during independent reading? Question two, in what ways do the most common literacy-based behaviors support meaning construction? And question three, how do students' descriptions of reading change after a year of supported independent reading? So from those questions, give us an overview of, of the study you did and, and uh, just a uh, forced level view of what the study looked like. Sure. So this uh, article is actually part of a larger year-long study uh, where we were, um, the teacher had set four pedagogical goals related to language and literacy development for first graders, and we helped design instruction to support that. Part of that was developing independent readers who enjoyed reading and were able to see reading as a meaning-making process. And so within the context of that, we wanted to um, take a closer look at those practices that she was exhibiting and the behaviors that we were seeing in the students to see if we were working towards that. So 
Um, in, in this particular article, we used a convergent parallel mixed methods design because we were interested in looking at both qualitative and quantitative. We developed an observational checklist to collect descriptive statistics about the students' behaviors and things we were observing. But we felt like we needed to move beyond just the quantitative data and numbers and really sort of qualitatively analyze um, whether and how the most common behaviors that we were observing in kids were helping support meaning making because that was originally the goal that she had set and why we designed this uh, supported independent reading. So um, she had a large class, uh, 28 first graders, so 15 girls and 13 boys. Uh, it was at a Title I school and um, no instructional aid or additional support, just uh, the classroom teacher. And it was kind of a, a mixed, uh, pretty diverse school. So 86% free and reduced lunch. Um, we had seven students who had been reclassified as English learners. Um, reading proficiency ranged from, on the DRA2, from a 2 to an 18. And uh, we had a handful of different first languages. So Spanish, Arabic, and Russian, as well as English. So um, a nice mix a nice mix of kids uh, in the classroom. So that that's kind of who was involved. Um, the classroom teacher uh, at the time was an eight-year veteran teacher who was just finishing her master's degree in uh, literacy. And so she was really kind of focused on trying to enhance uh, students' experiences and student-centered experiences where kids could really um, take ownership over their learning and reading and, and becoming, uh, people who see themselves as readers, I guess. So, and the researchers, you were in there quite a bit. Uh, you got, you were in there weekly, I believe mm -hmm. is what it said in there. And from, you ended up with 1,500 pages of research <laughs> notes to go through and, and analyze. I know it's so. probably hard to believe that my doc student still talks to me, but, um, <laughs> We had some really rich data, um, and we did spend a lot of time in there um, one day a week, typically, oftentimes for about a 90-minute block, um, in addition to interviews beginning mid-end year, as well as once every couple of weeks, the teacher and I meeting and recording those videos, and then ongoing, we used, um, you know, Boxer, it's like a voice messaging app. And so the teacher would regularly correspond with me, hey, here's something that happened today, or do you have ideas for what we might do for this? So we talked regularly on that too, and that became part of um, sort of this large uh, data collection that resulted in, yes, a, a lot of uh, transcription. <laughs> so from all of that data, what did you, what were some of your findings? What, what were students doing in this first grade class during their independent reading? Yeah, so overwhelmingly, they were reading or doing something related to reading. And I, I shouldn't say that that's a, a, I shouldn't say that as if it's a surprise. Um, but sometimes first graders time on task, just in general, their attention span um, isn't always that long. And so uh, we were really excited to see um, the amount of time that they were participating in literacy related behaviors. So one of the things that we found once we started doing the observational checklist was that we had to kind of flesh out and expand the checklist beyond some of the other checklists we had seen uh, because of the nature of young readers. So we considered things uh, like tracking print, pointing to pictures, retelling, those kinds of things all related to literacy-related behaviors. 
One of the other things that we really didn't expect that was something we examined in more depth after we did the observational checklist and looked at the quantitative data was the amount of time that students spent uh, on related talking. So typically in independent reading, they're supposed to be quiet. So while behaviorally that might not have initially fit into expectations, in terms of purpose and goal, they were talking about text, deepening meaning, and were able to show us a lot of things that they could do without the teacher by their interactions with each other. So um, it was really interesting to be able to take uh, a look at the numbers and then go a little bit deeper with some of the practices that we felt were really um, helping them think about meaning and comprehension. So while you mentioned meaning, what, how did students change as meaning makers throughout, uh, throughout this process? Yeah. So that's, that's a really great question. So um, they, a couple of the things that we found was that, um, the students were moving and part of this is because of the teacher scaffolds, which I know we'll talk about in a moment, but, um, the students moved from sort of a focus on word accuracy or reading quickly. We saw this both in their interviews as well as what they were doing, um, during independent reading time to uh, making connections to text, asking questions, making inferences like author's message or character traits. And again, all of that, all of that generated out of the initial whole group instruction that the teacher was providing to introduce a strategy, both word solving strategies and comprehension strategies, um, but that kids could document during their independent reading. And I think because it created this space where kids were excited about reading and they had choice in their reading. Um, so then we found them often talking to each other, using those sticky notes as a prompt to introduce things that they were learning to make connections across text um, and just kind of deepen their overall understanding of what they were reading beyond reading quickly. So in the beginning of the year, the students talked a lot about when we asked them what good readers do, you know, they read fast, they sound out words, they're quiet. And um, those perspectives really changed by the end of the year uh, to talk about understanding text, talking with peers about text uh, and, and things like that. So that was sort of our um, expansion in terms of thinking about uh, meaning making. So for us, that could be anything from like a summary or a retell, it could be inferential thinking, um, it could be asking and solving questions, or a use of any of the comprehension strategies. Excellent. So your analysis shows that students were on task most of the time, yeah. and that also that they became uh, more centered on meaning making throughout the process. Yep. Uh, did that, what, did those changes or what you observed, was it accompanied with attitude changes toward reading as well? Yeah, it was. So, um, as, as anyone who's worked with first graders knows, um, sometimes in the beginning of the year, kids are reluctant to read or don't feel confident about their reading. So in the beginning of the year, we heard multiple kids say in a frustrated, like when we, when we went to start independent reading, like, I can't read. They're like, I can't read this. I can't sound this out. Like, I don't know these words. And, um, and so one of the things that the teacher did was she really talked a lot about in what ways can we make meaning from the text. So while the other thing that we did was um, we worked really hard to set kids up to be able to pick like books that would be appropriate for them that they could be successful with. Um, and so one of the things that we saw that as kids began to feel successful with the text that they were reading, um, that they sort of reoriented their self-perceptions from 
I can't read to saying, oh, I'm a really, I'm a really good reader and here's what good readers do. And here's what we do, um, in the classroom. So uh, that part was really probably the most exciting. You know, we were excited to look at the numbers and see that it was, it's almost 80% of behaviors as literacy related, 12% as off task and and 7.4 as transition. Though if you categorize the transition as getting another book or something like that, in the on-test behavior, we had, it was 87% of the time the kids were doing something related to literacy. So they just developed the sense of self as being readers and part of this, this group where kids read. That's fantastic. Uh, you've mentioned several times that you had a great teacher that uh, you were working with to complete, uh, to complete this intervention. So in, in making this a successful experience, what was the role of the teacher Yeah, I think this is really, really important. Um, And this is a question I've had specifically about this article from multiple people is, do you think this is what would happen in every classroom? And my response is, is that um, she played a absolutely crucial role in the scaffolding and support and development of the kids um, over the course of time. And it you know, it started with things as simple as modeling a love for reading, modeling ways to um, pick a book, modeling ways to access text, modeling, modeling ways to build stamina or what to do when you come to words you don't know or comprehension strategies and all of this built. And I think one of the most important things about this particular teacher is she really made transparent how all of these things are connected. So you're not doing three predictions this week and three authors message because I said it and that's what you're getting graded on, but rather here's some things that good readers do when they come to this problem or to make sense of things and then model it, try it out. And then good readers talk about their reading and they talk about it with friends. So then we come together and we talk about it. All this helps us. It prepares us for discussion groups and partner reading and finding new books that we enjoy. And so it, it was this idea, not of uh, assignments, but sort of being a part of this community where reading was exciting and it mattered. And all of these were tools that scaffold these kids throughout the process, you know? And so she was very strategic about her work, both with whole group instruction as well as small group and conferring. So she spent quite a bit of time, particularly in the beginning, conferring with kids as they were independent reading, particularly those who needed a little extra support um, in terms of managing that work independently. I think that making connections, making transparent the, how, all, how all of the different processes are connected and, and connected in literacy is, uh, that's, uh, that, that's fantastic. Um, so based on your research, what, what do you feel the value of independent reading is in the early elementary years? I think it's absolutely crucial. Um, and I think that, uh, but, but I do want to say uh, the supported independent reading is absolutely crucial. I've also been in classrooms where they're independent reading and nobody's actually reading or engaging in meaning making experiences. So I think the supported independent reading uh, is such a huge asset because we want to develop kids who enjoy reading, kids who will read not just in the classroom when we prompt them to, but in the outside world. And we know that with increased engagement, which comes with choice, right, and motivation, that we also see increased academic achievement. The more kids read, (laughs) the better readers they're going to be. And so it's kind of our job to help them find books and a community and tools to participate 
in that work. And sometimes people think that first graders are too young to be doing this work. Um, but I would argue that it's just the right time to be doing this work. This is how they get hooked, where they begin to love books and think about the purpose for doing the academic work is really about being a reader and not about completing an assignment. Excellent. Um, so there is a clear difference between classrooms where the silent reading is, where the independent reading is supported versus classrooms where it isn't. So to help connect this to practice, if our listeners are interested in supporting uh, the silent or, or sorry, the independent reading of their, um, you know, of their early grade students, how can you walk us through for a few minutes of how you would set that up and uh, help make it a successful experience for the students? Yeah. So I think it starts with, um, initially introducing uh, how we might engage in independent reading. So what are the expectations during independent reading time? How can we find a spot that's going to work? Um, I think finding books that kids can read and enjoy is also, um, those are probably the first two big steps. Um, and one of the things for young readers that I recommend for if they're really in the emerging stages of decoding is find a book that they have memorized, that they're familiar with, that they could retell, that they can find parts of words. Or we also include copies of poems or songs that we've sang so that kids can find ways to engage with text. And then we do talk about building stamina. So we, we don't send them out that first day for 20 minutes because they're not ready. They don't know, you know, it's hard to think about focusing for that long and engaging for that long. So we've got kids with books that are going to work and are a good fit. We've talked about expectations and we begin to sort of try to track and build the amount of time that we can spend productively in independent reading. And then as kids get a little bit better at that, we continue to model strategies that help them be independent. So word solving strategies, word attack strategies, when they come to words that they don't know, can be a crucial part in helping young readers navigate difficult texts. And then we begin to introduce comprehension. So what is it that, um, it might be something like I learned or I wondered, or this reminds me of. And so we introduce this with a, a brief mini lesson and an anchor chart. And we actually um, correspond like strategies that we introduce with. Um, so we'll introduce it in an anchor chart and then, we'll color code it and we'll put a sticky that's color coded with it. And we always give our first graders a language frame so that they don't have to think about crafting that initial part of the sentence. They can just put this reminds me of, or I wonder, so they can just add in their thinking and they can put those stickies. And then we always check in afterwards. So talk to us about your thinking. How is it going? What did you document? Tell someone next to you, share books. We also do book recommendations every week. It helps build a community. Kids share their favorite book for the week and why other kids think it might work. And each week, the sort of um, strategy and instruction gets a little bit more sophisticated so that kids can go deeper in text. But we always make a priority also for kids to talk about it so that there's a purpose behind their independent reading. This can take place in partner reading or it can take place in whole group check-in or it can take place in literature discussion groups. But really being transparent about how all of these things are connected. And then we continue to check in with kids. So we use those observational checklists to say, hey, here's some things we noticed this week. In general, everyone's doing a pretty good job in terms of looking at the pages. But we also saw you know, a couple of students, you know, someone had a book on their head and was spinning in circles or, you know, whatever was taking place. And so we sort of talk about 
what's going well? And then what can we do to make this better tomorrow? And then we just sort of continue to sort of refine the independent work. That's the other thing about supporting kids' independence is that I wish I could say that she could just work on it for three weeks or four weeks and then it's done. But you have to kind of continually monitor and nudge and expand the sophistication of it so that kids stay engaged and keep moving, keep moving forward. So for us, those are some of the key, the key components. I, I would also say that sort of an, an overriding theme of the work we did in her class was choice. So kids had a lot of choice over what they read, how they would document what they knew, what they were learning. Um, and I think this really shifted the view of what reading was and how and why they were engaged because they had autonomy over things, which gave them a purpose for this kind of meaningful independence. That is excellent. Um, it's a great message to hear. So uh, thanks for coming on the show with us, uh, Dr. Moses. Last question. What do you think makes a great teacher? Yeah. So I think um, a teacher who is curious and inquisitive, I think we're always learning and growing. And we have to be really thoughtful about our practice and our instruction, but I think all of those decisions with good teachers um, come from the kids that they see in front of them. So I think a teacher who is reflective, a teacher who's willing to learn, and a teacher who can move beyond just curriculum, but think about ways that they can support students to be independent, right? The goal is eventually that kids will do this without us. And so it's our job to support them and to make it engaging and help them see a purpose for that work. And so for teachers, I think um, it's all about reflection and grounding the work in the kids in front of them, not in a set curriculum or, you know, some external uh, way to look at it. I think we can get to all of those academic achievements. And we saw that in this class as well is that they did really well um, about a year and a half actually progress for many of them. Um, but uh, it was grounded in the kids in front of them. So the instruction was based on the students needs and ways that she could provide autonomy for them to practice and grow as readers and writers and small humans. <laughs> more about you where can where can they go to learn more about your work sure yeah um my website would be a great place uh to go so it's lindsaymoses.weebly.com um you can also follow me on twitter at at dr lindsay moses excellent uh, dr lindsay moses thanks so much for coming on the show yeah thanks so much Wow, what a great conversation with Dr. Moses. I really enjoyed reading her study and then being able to talk about it here on the, the first episode of the podcast. It got me thinking about what independent reading can look like in an early elementary classroom and the merit of having independent reading in the classroom as well. I also want to thank Dr. Moses for being so generous with her time. I just emailed her out of the blue and said, hey, I'm Jake. I'm a doc student. I'm a fourth grade teacher. And I have an idea for a podcast where we talk about research and how to bridge it into the classroom. 
and she was very willing to come on and talk about her study. For my two cents this episode, I feel there's two lessons in this episode that help highlight what this podcast is about. The first has to do with independent reading as a practice. Independent reading, as we talked about a little bit, it used to be popular. You had deer, drop everything and read, and silent sustained reading, and then it fell out of favor, uh, but perhaps there's merit to it. And what I want to highlight in this show is that literacy research is complicated. It can get nuanced, and there's disagreements. There are researchers out there that are for independent reading in the classroom, silent sustained reading, if you will, and there are those out there that are against it. And both sides of this issue, they make some really great points. What I want this podcast to be is a place where we can wade through some of this research to find out what works in the classroom, what are the viewpoints of what works in the classroom, and who it works for, how long it works for, and if it works, how can we as educators do it right? My second thought about this episode deals with the power of a quality educator. In this study, they specifically wanted an excellent teacher. Dr. Moses and Dr. Kelly, they specifically sought out an expert teacher. So the message of the study is not that all first graders everywhere will be on task up to 90% of the time. The message of the study is that with a knowledgeable, supportive, expert teacher, first graders can be on task up to 90% of the time. The wording is a subtle change, but it's a big one. Efficacy is found in the teacher, not in the practice itself. So all the effective practices indicated by research or that you learned in a PD or that you read in a chapter for your master's class, they all hinge on an effective teacher to make things happen. And literacy research, I think, should also remember that when it's doing its research is that it needs to take in the expertise of teachers into account. There's a great quote that I love. In a, it's in a book titled The Handbook of Language and Literacy Development Disorders. It's one that I refer to pretty frequently, but the chapter's by Carol E. Westby. We're on page 354. And she says, Duffy 2002, she's referring to Gerald Duffy, maintains that the research must focus not on instructional techniques, but on thoughtful, adaptive teaching. There is a need to abandon the search for foolproof techniques and concentrate on research that helps us develop professionals who possess the psychological mindset to be adaptive to meet the needs of individual students. Great teachers are flexible and adaptive to meeting the needs of students. Great teachers, expert teachers, they have a wide repertoire of knowledge and skills available to them. My hope is that the Teaching Literacy Podcast can be a place that helps give you that knowledge and skills that you need to meet the needs of individual learners in your classroom. In short, teachers matter. They matter a whole lot. So let's work on becoming a little bit better teachers by learning more about what works in the classroom. So that's all for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. We are just getting this episode off the ground, so if you like the direction we're headed, you can share it with a friend. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all are at Teaching Literacy Podcast. Also, feel free to subscribe in your podcast app and tell your colleagues about the show. Thanks for listening. Next week, tune in. We talk with Dr. John Z. Strong about how to help students tackle challenging texts in the classroom.
Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast. And until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.